0: Log Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You have come to the wow, the word on Wednesday. And I am Pastor Winfred Burns, and we are excited tonight. Tonight, uh, a couple things are going to happen. Good evening, Victoria. How are you doing? Um, a couple of things are going to happen tonight. First of all, um, we'll pick up with uh, where we left off last week from, at, from Galatians chapter 1, and we'll move right into chapter 2. And just to explain something structurally, uh, chapter 2 is broken up into two major sections. The first part of it, verses 1 through 10, are basically a continuation of the narrative that Paul is giving concerning his apostleship, as well as the events that went on that led up to the discussion about how a person is what's or what's necessary for a person to be saved. And so, the second part of tonight is um, the answer will answer the question. So, how did I get right with God? I mean. What brought me into a right relationship or right standing with God? You see, I know I was a sinner. I know that for a fact. I was there when I was doing all the sinning. But now, what changed my status? What were the events? What were the things necessary for me to experience salvation? That's what we're going to, to talk about tonight. And it's really important that we understand that because some people will have us going jumping through a whole lot of hoops getting saved. You know, back in the old days, there was there was one denomination that said that you had to sit on the tarrying bench. And then there was others who said that, you know, you weren't saved until you were baptized a certain way. And then there's still others that said, you know, you had to have a certain type of experience to prove your salvation. So everybody was always trying to tell us how how we get saved, but nobody nobody had the power to save us. And so that's what we're going to get into tonight in the second half of the of this chapter, uh, verses uh, ten through twenty or eleven through twenty one. So the first half is narrative. Second half. Is the um, is basically what we'll get into is the doctrine of justification, and you'll get a chance to understand what's there. But before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. We come to bless you. We come to praise you. But we also come seeking you and your word. We seek your presence tonight, oh God, because we want you to teach us. We need you teaching us. Secondly, we just like hanging around you. God, how we love you, how we praise you and how we bless you. Father, it's in your presence that there's fullness of joy. And so we like being here. This is not a burden to us. You know, we, we we just like hanging with you. And so we bless you and we praise you tonight. Now, God, as we said before, be our preacher, be our teacher, be our leader, be our Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night, hey, Dom, uh, so last night, last, last week rather, not last night, When we left off, we left off with talking about how Paul got to be an apostle, his calling by God, and the things that he went through subsequent to being called, how nobody taught him anything, how he didn't seek out um, validation from the others, but instead his anointing, his calling, everything came from God. So I wanna pick up I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go back to um good evening. Uh I'll go back to chapter one verse twenty one and I'll and I'll just go right into chapter two. Okay? So I'm gonna start reading and again I've switched to the NIV because that's one that most folks have. Um I, I'm not giving up on my, my ESV or my King James or any of the other Bibles, but I'm, I'm going to go along with y'all with this NIV. Anyway, so I'm going to start reading that verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praise God because of me 14 years later i went up again to jerusalem this time with barnabas i took titus also along also i went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that i preach among the gentiles but i did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So what he does here is he relays to the Galatians the events that actually were recorded in Acts chapter 15. Uh, In Acts chapter 15, it explains the problem that they were having uh, that that precipitated the the, the writing of this letter. So let's go over to Acts chapter 15 real quick because uh, I I want you to know that, that nothing happens on an island. Everything in this word is connected, and those of you who are really studying your Bible you will see that you cannot take a book and, and, and just take it uh, and lift it apart and let it stand on its own. Each book is supported by information uh, in other books. The Word of God is unified. So turn over to Acts chapter 15 so we can flesh this part out, and then I'll, I'll come back and I'll explain a couple of other things in there. Acts chapter 15 Verse 1. You are there? It says, and this is the situation that he's writing about. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and are required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel, and believe God who knows the heart. Now, let me tell you what he's referring to there. Early on in, 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 um, in Acts, remember when Peter was sent to go see Cornelius? And prior to going to see Cornelius, he had this dream of all these animals being let down into the, uh, from heaven in this big sheet. And the spirit spoke to him and says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And, and he said, no, I can't be eating no, nothing unclean. Remember that when we went through that back when we were studying in Acts? This is what he was referring to where now because you don't, I don't need you to get confused where, where you think, well, Peter was called to go to the Gentiles. No, Peter was called to go and deliver the gospel to the Gentiles, Cornelius, okay? Just remember that. Now, so anyway, it says, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that, that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Now, so this is the, the, one of the events that Paul is now sharing with the Galatians that he participated in, when he went to Jerusalem to solve the problem that had been brought about by uh, the Judaizers, as we now call them, who came in and said, you can't be saved unless you are circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. That Jesus was not enough. That's what's being said here. Now, there's a couple of other terms that I want to go through with you. First of all, before I go through the terms, let's see what, what Paul says that these Judaizers did. First of all, in verse, verse 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, this, this matter arose because, and, I, and I'm, t- I'm doing this for a reason, so stay with me. I'm doing this for a reason. Verse 4, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. So did you notice what he said? They infiltrated our ranks. What did they want to do? They wanted to see what we were doing. They wanted to spy out our freedom. That was their purpose in coming in so they can bring us back into slavery. They wanted to put us in bondage. They want us to not be free in Christ, but instead they want us to act like them. Somebody just saw where I'm going with this. The other thing that, um, that we want to show here is this last, there's a phrase in here. It's in verse, what verse is that? Verse 9, it says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. What I, the, the, the phrase I want to explore real quick is the right hand of fellowship. And the reason why I want to explore that phrase is simple. We, in, in our churches today, when you join the church uh, after baptism or, or uh, if you join under what we call Christian experience, meaning that you were already baptized and you join into a new fellowship, you get what's known as the right hand of fellowship. Now, what is the right hand of fellowship? Well, that word fellowship comes from a Greek word called koinonia. And that, that word basically implies it, it implies participation, impartation, and fellowship. Koinonia involves participation, impartation, and fellowship. So when you are given the right hand of fellowship, what it says is that you have come into agreement. You've come into agreement with this congregation. This congregation is coming to agreement with you, and now you are able to participate Equally, you are able, you, you are, they have enjoined you or imparted themselves to you, and you have imparted yourself to, to them in such a way that um, you now are one together. You are in agreement. You come into oneness with that congregation. And you are imparting to them, and they are imparting to you. That's what the right hand of fellowship means. And notice it's the right hand. The right hand is symbolic of power. So they're going to give to you, and you're going to give to them. You're going to be a strength to each other because you are in agreement. From a doctrinal standpoint, it means that you agree with the doctrine that they preach. You have similar beliefs. That's what that right hand of fellowship means. So when you take the right hand of fellowship from a church, or a church extends the right hand of fellowship to you, that means that you're now a part of, and you're in agreement with, and you are now on the same page, and you are to strengthen each other. Everybody got that? So the two things that we wanted to see is number one, what the enemy was doing, and two, what was the result? What the result of of people who, I, who received the right hand of fellowship from each other because they got an agreement there. And that's what, that's what this passage is saying, that people came to try to divide us with their doctrine. But we went and we talked about it, and we came into agreement basically about, uh, uh, excuse me, let me say it a better way. We agreed that salvation was by faith in Jesus Christ and that it was not necessary for circumcision, nor was it necessary for them to obey the laws of Moses. That's what he's saying right there. So let's go to verse 11. So again, that verses 1 through 10 was what happened. That's the the narrative that leads us to this point. Now, when Peter came to Antioch, I'm at verse 11 now. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So, now, we believe we believe that this takes place sometime between the first and the second missionary journey. So sometime between uh, around Acts I believe it's chapter thirteen Acts thirteen. I can look real quick while we while you guys are digesting what I just said. Um I think it's Acts chapter thirteen, is that uh yeah, Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen. It's actually the end of Acts chapter fourteen. Sometime between fourteen and the and the council at Jerusalem. Yeah, between fourteen of the end of fourteen and fifteen, Peter comes to Antioch, and he is practicing hypocrisy, because until these guys show up from Jerusalem, he's sitting there and he just he's chilling with everybody else. He run, able and have fellowship, but all of a sudden, when these guys come, he turns around and he says, well, I got to go over here with them, you know, because I want things to look right. And Paul says, uh-uh, no, because he's saying to them, wait a minute, hold on, dude, you've been living as if this was all right, and now you're going to show up and start fronting because these dudes are here. Uh-uh, that ain't right. That ain't right. Be who you are. And now he get, and so he says, you're gonna to try to make them live like you want to appear to be living when you're not living like that. Does anybody see this now? Is anybody experienced this? Somebody trying to impose a standard on you that they're not even upholding. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth, now here's the argument, here's the, here's the argument, and this is when we're going to get into a little doctrine. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified but by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. We got this word in here. We got got two words that we got to deal with. First of all, let's deal with the simpler one, the law. Now, when he refers to the law, he's referring to. To the laws that were given to Moses, so in essence, the Ten Commandments, all of the laws of sacrifice that you find in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and then um, in addition to those, like 613 rules that were given by uh, uh, the, the rabbis and the, that that basically codified how. Uh, how to live in in right standing with God. So if you weren't obeying all of them, this is the this is the Mosaic Law now. If you weren't obeying all of them, then you couldn't be in right standing with God. And so the second word that uh, we find in here is justified, and that word justified is a is a legal word really, and it means to stand acquitted to be declared righteous to be declared in right standing with God now the Jews went through a the Jews went through a lot of rituals to make sure that they stood in right standing with God you know all the washing rituals the laws of sacrifice the fact that they had to be at the festivals all of the laws that, 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 um, that were handed down through Moses, the Jews were obligated to obey. But even in having all of these laws, they still were not in right standing with God. What does it say? So, so justified, again, let me go to that one more time. Justified is means to be declared righteous. Justified means to be declared righteous, to be acquitted, to be declared not guilty, okay? That's what justified means. So it says, we who are Jews by birth, so I'm going to go back to 15 again now that we got that in. Okay, I've got a. I've got a. I might, I might, y'all might have to loan me a couple of minutes because this gets sticky. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified, a man is not declared righteous by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, we may be declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be declared righteous. No one will be justified. So what it's saying is that by observing the law, you can't get saved. You cannot be saved by observing the law of Moses. Why? Because we can't keep the law. And if we break it in one point, in any area, guilty. Now, when we are dec- when we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Justified or declared righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ means that we were declared righteous because we placed our faith in the work, the finished work of Christ. The work that Jesus did on the cross by sacrificing himself, by going to the cross and offering himself up as a unblemished sacrifice. And I'll take more time than I have, but go back to the Old Testament and see um, what it meant, what, this, what actually happened in the, in the sacrifices. Uh, specifically, read, um, read Leviticus chapter 1 uh, where it talks about the offering for atonement or the, the burnt offering. The burnt offering is the offering that covers the sin of mankind. Jesus offers himself. He is our atonement. He is, his blood covers us. His blood uh, satisfies God. Um, You'll see um, in some passages, he is our propitiation. He is the offering that satisfies the wrath of God, that turns away God's wrath. And so by believing that Jesus, who offers himself up to God in obedience with God's plan of salvation to redeem mankind, okay, he satisfies God, and because we believe that Jesus satisfies God, He paid for our sins. Because of our faith in His works, we are justified. So that's what that means—justified by faith in Christ. Okay, you got that? And see, justification is not—it it doesn't have anything to do what we de, what, what 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 we do. No, it doesn't have anything. No justification results from an action of God that changes man's situation. You see that now you're getting into that mercy and grace thing God put forth this plan that by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that man could be saved. So it's nothing that we did but everything that God did. It's nothing that we can do but everything that God did through his son, Jesus Christ. Our faith in God's work on the cross through his son brings us justification or brings us to the point where we have been made right with God. Now, God doesn't declare us not guilty. No, he acquits us. There's a difference between gaining an acquittal and being declared not guilty. See, a lot of people say, well, I'm not guilty. No, yes, you are. To say that you are not guilty and to say that God says that you are not guilty is not only for you to lie, but for God to lie. And God is not a man that he should lie. What do you mean by that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's the truth. We sin, period, close the book. We lied, we stole, we did everything that we thought we were big enough to do and some stuff that we didn't think we were big enough to do, but we did it anyway. We are guilty. And as we stand before God, if he says, Are you did you sin? Yep, sure did. He don't even have to answer. You don't even have to answer. You know you did, you know I did. But then God says, But yeah, you guilty? You're guilty? But because of what Jesus did, and because of your faith in Him, I'm I'm quit acquitted. it. I'm to quit you. Why is that? Because of your faith in the finished work of God. Because you are now participating in my you, in my plan. You brought yourself in line with my purpose for you, for mankind. That's what it means to be justified. Now, let me ooh, I'm right on the number, 730. Let me finish this last argument. Let me finish this last argument so we can be on in chapter 3. Give me, five, give me five minutes, okay? It says, I'm at verse 7, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start at 15 and go straight through. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified, made righteous by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, made righteous, by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified, made righteous. If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I build what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, let me stop right here, okay? Let me, because these two verses will really confuse you. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? So what he's saying here is this. If in coming to Christ, If in coming to Christ, we find ourselves to still be sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? So if we come to Christ and we are not practicing the law as others have said we should, and we're living by faith, but we're still pronounced um, how do I want to put it, and we're still not justified, is Christ then, is Christ then the, well, how does he put it? Does Christ promote sin? Does Christ advance us in our sinful state? Does Christ the chief of sinners, is he leading us into sin or is he leading us into righteousness? That's the essence of this verse. So he's arguing. He said, now wait a minute, hold on. If we have come to Christ and we are not under the law, does that mean that since we follow in Christ, but we're not obeying the law, that Christ becomes the leader of sinners? That's his argument right there. It says, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. So he's saying here now, if that's true, then all I do is I prove that I'm going to practice breaking the law some more. And he's going to, you know, when you get over into, I think it's Romans, where he he, he says, uh, so since I'm free from sin, does that mean, from the guilt of sin, does that mean that I'm going to sin more? And then he says, God forbid, no. No because yeah, uh, righteousness should not be producing sin. Following Christ should not encourage you to sin more, okay? If I reveal what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me, let me, let me just take that apart real quick. First of all, he, he's basically describing the process of baptism here. When we are baptized, what we do is we die to ourselves and our flesh, When we go down in the water, that is an announcement that Winfred is now reckoning himself to be dead to his will and his ways. And when I come up, I come up and I announce to the world that I have been born again and I now live for Christ. I now take on the identity of Christ. I now take on the the purpose and the will of Christ. And so everything that I do is for Christ. It is in him that I live, move, and now have my being. Everything, the spirit within me, the power within me, is now generated by Christ. And that's important to see. That's what he's saying here. When I, took, when I believed, I died. And the life that I have now live, I live by the power of God. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. And later on, when we get to some areas of baptism, we'll, go, we'll explore this even further. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. I live the actions that I now take are based upon the will and the way of God. You get that? That's important that we get this. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean for us tonight? And I, I, it's going to take me about two or three minutes to wrap this up. What are the implications for this? First of all, if you didn't die for me, and if you do not make me righteous, because my righteousness comes through my faith in Jesus Christ, and if you can't make me conform to the image of Christ, and you can't deliver my salvation, so you got nothing to do with my justification... You got nothing to do with my sanctification. You got nothing to do with my salvation. Then you know what them little girls used to say? You can talk to the hand. You can talk to the hand. That's what that's what they used to say. I love them little girls when they used to say oh, this Talk to the hand. I'm not listening to you. There are so many times in life where people come and they try to shackle us. They try to shackle us with their rules and their regulations saying, this is what you've got to do, that's what you've got to do. You've got to do this. If you ain't doing this, then you're not saved. If you're not acting this way, you're not saved. If you don't stand up when we say stand up, and if you don't sit down when we say sit down. If you don't wear what we want you to wear, and if you don't do Uh, 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 what we want you to do, if you don't give what we want you to give, if you give more than we want you to give or you don't give when we want you to give or you don't sing the way we want you to sing or you don't participate in in this function or that function or the other function, then you can't be saved. Oh, no, baby, it has nothing to do with that. Nothing, nothing, nothing to do with that at all. What it salvation is the plan of God. And it was God's plan from the time we sinned to the time we got saved, and he's still letting that plan work because there's still more to come in. What does salvation depend upon? It depends upon God, period. That's it. God did all of this. He even gave us the faith to believe. He even opened our eyes so we could see, and our ears so we could hear the word of God. And, and and he imparts his spirit. He gives us the heart. He gave us a new heart so we can receive this word. God did this. And unless you are Jehovah, then guess what? Hush! You're gonna say about my salvation. God gave that to me, and because you see how free I am, and because it was given to me freely, I know what you want to do, devil. You want to come in, and you want to put some rules and regulations on me to shackle me so you could do what? Enslave me so you can have me walking around acting like somebody that I am not and never will be because God called me and he knew who I was when he called me and the changes that he wants to make, the process of sanctification, conforming me to the image of Christ, his Holy Ghost going to do it. You ain't got nothing to do with it. Test three people and say, you better go and leave me alone. God got me. His hand is on me. He's molding me and making me. He'll need your help. And it's very, it, 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 you know, that's the freedom that we have. Some people go to church and they always feel bound because they're always in performance mode. I, I better do this now. And then they go, if they if, if the pastor don't don't think that you're supposed to drink Pepsi Cola. Then I ain't drinking no Pepsi Cola. What Pepsi Cola got to do with salvation? Nothing. And so you become you become a, a a robot. You become less than who you are and who God intended you to be. And you never go through the process. You never get a chance to go through the process of being made, being conformed into the image of Christ. You never become the person that God wants you to be. You can never function the way he wants you to function because you're too busy trying to be something that you ain't. That's like me getting out on the basketball court, and here I am all of five feet, eight inches tall, and I'm going to play the center. And I'm going to go up against somebody like Shaq. I ain't got no business being there. Why did I do that? Because somebody said that's where I'm supposed to be. No, I'm going to be where God wants me to be. And right now, at this stage of my life, you know where I belong? I belong on the bench, telling somebody else what to do. I can't run up and down that court. That's not me. I'm beyond that. So, and, and, and like, yeah, you become dysfunctional. And not only are you just, when you're dysfunctional, You're miserable. <laughs> Why? Because you're walking around all shackled and bound up. You know, you, don't, you know, I know some people that say amen at the end of everything. Oh, bless the Lord, amen, and God said amen, and you know, that, if that's the way they talk, that's fine, but all of a sudden, we, we we get in the church and we hear somebody else talking like that, and we say, oh, that's what you've got to do if, to show that you're really saved, and so you punctuate everything with amens and bless God and all. That's not the way you talk. You, you're you fronting, you faking. Be you. You trust God to save you, then trust God to sanctify you. Trust God to put you in the in make you in His very image. That's our teaching for tonight. That's it. So, what'd you learn? You learn what justification means. You learn what it means by uh, the law won't justify you. Why? Because you can't obey it, can't do it. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the law is null and void. I will get into that later. But what it does mean is that you're free to be you. You're free to be who God called. God knows you, and he knows when you're faking and when you're fronting. Yes, he do. He knows exactly what he's dealing with. And God is going to take you through the process of making you what he wants you to be. Some of y'all stopped smiling once you got saved. Had the prettiest smiles in the world, and now you don't smile. Some of y'all were, uh, as I say, dancing up a storm. And somebody said, well, save people don't dance. Where say that at? No. Uh-uh. No, that's not what they say at all. They don't say all of these do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. Unless the Bible says you don't do it you free. Now, when we teach Corinthians, I'll show you some, you know, the parameters of freedom, but you're free. Okay? So anyway, I got to stop. I got to stop because I went well over my time. I was so ooh, 744. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? If you got some questions, uh, I see the comments, but I can't see them. I really can't see them because you see all these glasses I got on? I, I, I got to get real close to see and real far to see and all that kind of stuff. And in teaching, I, I just do a bad job of reading this. So after we pray, after we pray real quick and before I release you, if you got a question, uh, if, you're on, um, if you're on Global Drive, uh, you can call me at 929-477-2304. And if you're on Facebook Live, just put the, um, put the, uh, uh, your question right on the thing. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our fathers, in Jesus' name we come to say thank you. Father, we bless you that we are free in you. We bless you that you know us. You know who we are. And that we can't fake you. We can't front you. So we come to you just as we are. Father, we ask that you would search and research. We ask that you would make us what you want us to be. And allow us as we live day by day to give you glory because we walk in truth. that we don't come up to you lying and that we don't go around people faking and all this kind of stuff and then trying to impress men and all of that, but we just live for you. We yield ourselves to your spirit because your spirit will lead us into all truth. We yield ourselves to your spirit because, God, we know that your spirit knows the deep things of you, knows your heart, knows what you want us to do, when you want us to do it, how you want us to do it. And so we ask that you would just, we would just worship you in spirit and in truth. And then furthermore, God, we ask you for one more thing. We ask you to continue to just overwhelm us with your love, overwhelm us with your presence, teach us to be faithful to you in all things. To not go with the lie, to not go with convenience, but to be genuine, to come before you confident, like children who have been outside in their good clothes playing in the mud, but know that you love us so much that we can come in and that we can receive that you'll receive us, that you will cleanse us, and you will do great things. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. But any questions? Okay, if there's no questions, I've been, I've gone well over my time. I'm not sorry. I just wish I could get it in in 30 minutes like I said I would, and I'll try more next week. But in any event, since there's no questions, I thank God for each of you for being out tonight. Uh, share with your friends. Share these teachings with your friends. Um, Hit your share button when you come on. I'm supposed to say all of that stuff, but I always forget. But more than anything else, you be you in the face of God, and you begin to do and live free. Bless you. I'll see you next week. This is Pastor Winfred Burns with a word on Wednesday.